0: They use their to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Um, again, we're talking, we have this mixture uh, of the ways of looking at Romans, whether you want to look at it as a purely theological um, uh, essay. Or do you want to look at it as addressed to a specific community with a specific problem? Uh, uh, It's both, obviously, because uh, Paul uses his his theology to approach the problem that the Roman uh, group has had, which is this dissension, who's better, the Jews, the Greeks, uh, as as Christians, not as as, um, uh, people, but as Christians and, and uh and there is this sort of we're better than you attitude between the two of them and basically he has said we're all in the same boat and he has gone through a whole bunch of reasons why we are uh that god is justified to uh punish us all for sin for the jew for having known the law and and not uh uh, followed it for the pagan and the greek not to be able to see god within uh nature and come to God in, uh, through nature um, this particular session uh, we'll, sec- uh, well session tonight uh, and this section uh, really is the basis of two of the five uh, decrees of the Council of Dort in 1618 uh, which and the, the first the first two decrees, which most evangelicals at least nod to and say, yes, that is true. Um, And basically what Paul is saying here is we're all in the same boat. Why? And he answers the question, none is righteous. No, not one. Uh, The people at Dort, uh, the Dutch at Dort said, no, that's called total depravity, Uh, that we are not righteous. No one at all is righteous. Uh, Now, Um, uses two terms here, uh, right, righteousness and under sin. Anybody know? We went through this last week very briefly. Anybody remember what we said? What the difference is between righteous and uh, under sin, righteousness and under sin
1: is righteousness another word for holy.
0: Um,
1: No, no,
0: no. Holy means set apart. Righteousness is different.
1: We are made righteous.
0: We are made righteous. That's correct. What is right? What's the difference between righteous and under sin? I mean, he says no one is righteous. No, and we are all under sin. What's the difference? Is there a is there a difference? Are these just parallels for emphasis of the same idea? i hear murmuring all right this is a this is going to be a little technical righteousness in greek is a positional term it means it refers to your position and here specifically it's your position before god so no one is righteous means that our position before god is one that we can't, uh, we don't have any righteousness to present to him, we cannot approach him, we are wearing, is essentially uh, very similar to the man at the wedding feast, doesn't have wedding clothes on, his position is off, he's not, uh, he's not correct in what he does and what he says, it's a positional thing, Under the word under, under sin, is actually a political term, when you're under something, in, using that word, it's, means that you're a citizen so what this is saying is positionally we're not right before god we're standing before god is not good not correct and that we are citizens of a kingdom of sin is really what these two things are saying so they're a little different and they may overlap a little because we're not righteous before god our position is wrong because we are citizens of sin of kingdom of sin but they're slightly different so he's not repeating himself he's enlarging his idea in this. So, um, the problem is the reality of our sinfulness. Um, and he um, he goes through this, verse 10, this, this idea is no one is legally, that's our legal position. We're not legally righteous. No one, uh, no one's deeds can change that. Okay? Now, Verse 11, he covers a lot of ground here. Verse 11 um, is really, talks to our minds. You know, the thing that sits on our shoulders and holds our hats up. uh, And in some cases, our hair. Not you and I, Sal, but a lot of other people. Of course. Sorry. You're in the same boat. me. I am. So, you know, it's our minds. We don't and can't understand God's truth. We don't even look for it. No one seeks God. No one understands. We just can't understand God's truth. We don't. We we just don't see it. Then it goes to verse 12. What does that refer to? Any ideas? All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one.
1: Giving ourselves to sin.
0: Okay. Um, Turning away from God. Right? Oh, for, I'm sorry yeah let's back up one thing no one understands no one seeks for God that refers to our motives okay and then verse 12' we'll turn to the side that's an active thing so that's our wills um, this is there is a willfulness about or we're wandering from God and we willfully willfully do it you know we can define sin in a whole bunch of different ways and um uh, any, uh, anybody have a good definition of sin?
2: Sin is turning
1: away from God.
0: Okay. Anything else? You're off. That? Annette. I thought that was Annette, but I I don't know. You're you're on mute. Annette, you're on mute you are still
1: on mute, Annette.
0: You're
3: on mute, Annette. Except it twice. <laughs> oh.
1: yeah. There we go. Okay. Yeah, I just said you are apart from God. You're 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 not, not anywhere connected to him in mind, spirit, or whatever, you know.
0: Okay. Well, let's think back to Adam and Eve. Their sin. What was their sin? I mean, they disobeyed the rule of God, but what do you think their motive in that? that sin is
1: selfishness probably
0: i think that's a key word self um anybody want to it's it's there's a willfulness about our wandering we can define sin and i'd like you know i think paul defines it here as a a, our demand our inner demand as humans to be self-determining and have the right to choose which way we're gonna go okay You know, it's you can define part of it as pride. You can define it as disobedience, that we don't want to listen. But it's we want to do our own thing. We want to be independent. We don't want anyone or anything all the way up to God determining what we are to do. And that's as good a definition of sin as I've ever seen. Uh, There are many others, obviously. But I think that's what Paul is getting at here. Now, so far we've had... Our, our minds, our motives, our wills. And then there's this 13 or 14 that our mouth, our words are a sign of this decay. And then this falls into into 15, our relationships, our, our feet are, sw- are swift to shed blood, in our paths our ruin and misery. Uh, and then there is this, the way of peace has not been known. We don't fear God. You know, the question is not not that why people seek God. What if do people don't seek God? Why don't people why doesn't everybody seek God? You know, there's a vast majority of people on this planet who don't even either, either think about seeking God or don't want to. I think
4: there's I, I don't know that I I don't know that I I mean I see the verse, no one seeks after God. But I don't know how that's true when there are so many people who do seek after things, maybe not God, but look at world religions, look at, I mean, people seeking. So if nobody's seeking, then it would be either be godless, worthless, atheism, or Christianity. Because all those other people who are seeking some fulfillment or God in religion wouldn't be seeking it if no one seeks after God. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Okay.
0: No, you're making sense, but you're, you're right. They're seeking, but what is the focus of their, what is the focus
4: of these people's search in other religions and in whatever they're doing? What is the focus? Self-fulfillment, uh, truth, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. They're seeking, though. Plenty of people, I mean, six billion people, and there's plenty of religions around, and people right. are joining them. And- um, if you look at, say, Islam, what
0: are they
2: doing? They're earn
4: favor with God, they're trying to be—they're trying to be good enough. But why would they do that if no one even seeks after God? Like, why even bother? they
0: thats your, thats good, Sal. What you're saying is—is is right. Let me just put it in a little different way. Is that what they're doing? Is seeking not so much God, but they recognize that their relationship with God is—is off. Is And they're seeking, how do I fix this? How do I fix this? All right? And what Paul is saying is that you can't. You cannot fix this. All right? It is God who has to fix it for you. So they're seeking. You're you're right. They're seeking. But they're not seeking in the way that makes any sense because they're seeking to see how I. It's still that self-determination. They're seeking, how do I fix this? how do I, what do I do, I do, what do I do, what do I say, what do I, how do I uh, act, in order to make this relationship with God correct, it has nothing to do with coming before God and saying, I can't do this, it's, what do I do, what do I do, Is there, it says that pride, that self-determination that's falling that's out, uh, I
1: think um, all have, let's see, no one is truly wise, no one is seeking God, verse 11,
0: Mm -hmm. no one is seeking no one is seeking god and allowing god to do the work um uh, we try you know a lot of people will try to get blessings of god and try to control keep control and christians do that too i mean you know how many times you know that god is looked at as a kind of a cosmic vending machine you know you go to him and ask for a blessing and say you know and expect him to answer. Um, And you want to control God. You want to control what God has for you to do. You want to control what God does for you. You want to control all this stuff without accepting that he is in control, that you don't have control. He is the determiner. You are not. Uh, And that's part of, that's that's this whole problem with people in general. Um, uh, But why do we do that? Why are we so self-centered? Why isn't someone born who says, you know, hey, you know, let me uh, look out for uh, someone else instead of me. Uh, why is this me attitude so ingrained? And, you know, it's ingrained from the beginning. You know, those those of us who had children know, day one, we're all self-centered. Day one, we all want our own comfort. We all want our own ease. We all want to be... Uh, taken care of without anything in return. Um, You know, it has to do with original sin. If you don't believe in original sin, you've obviously never seen a child, all right? Because what is the first word? People with children, what's the first word your child says? No, 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 no. Maybe sometime, you know, it's second word maybe mama, dad, but the first word is no. The first word that they actually know what it means is no, no, no. Right, I mean, my wrong, uh, you know. Parents, um, uh, <laughs> Sal is nodding his head vigorously.
4: And mine. Next one's mine. So there's that selfishness. Oh, yeah, no, no yeah. and mine.
0: That's right. Whereas our grandkids, kids? Used to, or our kids used to say, "Mines." <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. Was the question about why do people? Why do they? Why they? Why do they sin so much? I think people have made their mind is in, is in the image of God, and now that includes everything. Remember, it said everything is in the world, the knowledge of good and evil. That's because that we now we know now, and now we now we think since we know that then, then we can do and we can do things that God does and imitate God. This is, of course, where Satan came from. So that that's that's where the sin came from. Our great minds.
0: The you know the the thought that they they would the knowledge of good and evil um, what is that you know know in the Bible just doesn't mean like I know how to do calculus it's not that kind of thing it's much more intimate uh, and the knowledge of evil is really meant to convey uh, in the Hebrew it meant to convey a control over determining what's good and evil. It has that sense that if I have the knowledge of good and evil, I control what is good and what is evil. And yes, Yes. it's becoming God, but the idea that we have, at at the sin of Adam, our nature's change. And what we inherit from Adam and Eve are our changed nature. And that changed nature does not allow us to get beyond the self-determining self-centeredness that we we're born with uh, and only what that's the whole point of being reborn we are born with this nature we need to be reborn with another nature and that's why the term is used the new birth it's 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 changing our nature by being born again it's changing our nature so that we can approach god it's changing our nature so that we can stand before god with in a righteous manner, in a legally righteous manner. So, this whole concept of original sin—it's not something that's sort of passed on, uh, you know. Uh, physically, it is a—it is our will that had been changed, and our 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 whole mind has been changed to the point where the image of God has been repressed. It's still there, but it's been repressed to the point where uh, only God can resurrect it again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um um, Mm. and can unsaved people
1: do good things? Sure. Yes, they can. Mm.
0: Well then why did it say in verse twelve, no one does good.
1: How do you define good?
0: Yeah. All right, Annette, great question. Anybody <laughs> want
1: to <ask> that one? <laughs> I mean, good to us is not the same good as God, to God.
0: Okay.
1: I, How would yeah. God
0: define good?
1: Obedience. Yes. Obedience to his will. I'm sorry? Obedience. Being obedient
0: Being the obedient. Will of God. Okay.
2: Okay.
1: Doing good is something uh, that brings glory to God. That's true. Good. And if it brings glory
0: to God, what doesn't it do? Emulate self. Yeah. Exalt self. Right? Right. If, if self. it brings glory to God, it doesn't bring glory to yourself. Mm-hmm. That's said, exalting. But it, it's the, this idea of who are we giving glory to with our work? Are we giving glory to God or are we giving glory to ourselves? All right. Are we doing what mm-hmm. we do with the purpose in mind to exalt God or to exalt ourselves? And Paul's point is that well, like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm.
1: i sorry. I think when you do something, you should be honoring to God or blessing it to be a blessing to others. If you do something, you should always be honoring God and not about you. Right. Right. right.
0: Right. Right, but what Paul's point is here, before, if God does not give you the grace to have faith, then you are only doing, you're only exalting yourself in your work. So even if you do good in the eyes of the world, you're not, you're doing, you're actually sinning because it's bringing the glory to you and taking it away from God. So the the guy who is, say it gives away a billion dollars because that's you know hey it makes me feel good it's 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 necessary people are suffering is not giving glory to god he's giving glory to himself and therefore in actuality is sinning peter yes ma'am
1: i was thinking when you just said that um he might have given away a billion dollars but he might have also had two billion dollars so it wasn't really that significant as the person, of course, the story of the little of the woman in the church or whoever she was and she gave That's those the, yeah, those few pennies that she had. So that would have been glory to God. And that was from her total heart being and, and whatever she could give, right? Right. Yes.
0: And if, if nothing if nothing
1: else, it's our heart attitude that is yeah. the difference. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, I want to give an example of dear Rosetta who just does amazing baking it's totally delicious but she does that as an act of worship
0: She's mm-hmm.
1: not giving it out to um well make herself look generous or that she's such a expert baker and that everybody's going to love her but she does that as an act of worship that had a huge impact on my life mm-hmm. was that
4: and, uh, and mine as well but i uh, let me also add that so, it's not as important the deed as it is the motive. Yeah. So to speak. Exactly. And uh, certainly for believers, we should be bringing glory to God no matter in all that we do, and especially in those things that the world would pat us on the back for and go, oh, you're really, oh, you're so now, oh, you're a good person. Like, uh, no, I do this because of what God has done for me out of gratitude and obedience. And we just point everything back towards God when people look at us and where they think we're all that. But
1: mm-hmm. when an
4: unsaved person does philanthropic work, so does good works and really helps people. Our definition of good, that's good. Right. I mean, I guess in a worldly way, that's oh, that's right. good. You know, you've given money to help poor, starving people like that doesn't sound bad. And I don't think God would say, no, that's bad. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just that they're not doing it for the right reasons in god's eyes i guess as, as opposed to righteousness and not or sin and not like put some meat on those bones Pete. it doesn't make us righteous but it does it can make you self-righteous which is
0: there's a big difference there's a god-giving righteousness and there's a righteousness that you know i do good things i give away money therefore i am a good person uh, and selfish, self-righteousness is a really, really, really hard place. It's a hard nut to crack when you talk about what, you know, your sin and talk about your need for God and your need for Christ. It's a very hard place to go to, to talk to people who are self-righteous. Um, uh, uh, George Whitfield, who was uh, very, very important in the uh, American and English um, Great Awakenings in the 18th century, uh, gave a sermon and one of his one of his things was, there must be a deep conviction before you can be brought out of your self righteousness. It is the last idol taken out of your heart.
1: Whoa. Yikes! Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: Whitfield, Whitfield Whitfield had a way of saying things that sort of like really <laughs> got through your eyeballs. I mean, it was he was very forthright and very very uh, uh, blunt, direct, and blunt. And <laughs> When he preached, uh, no one would believe it, and actually Ben Franklin confirmed it, that he actually preached in Philadelphia uh, to, in the 1730s, to 30,000 people. Wow. Without a microphone.
1: Oops.
0: Thanks. Without a microphone at once. The crowd was so huge that it, it just was, it bottled Franklin's mind. And uh, he, he could not believe how, much attention people paid to him because he really cut to the quick. He didn't, he didn't miss words. You know, this is your problem. This is the thing we need to do this. And we don't see that a lot, uh, unfortunately, but this is what, you know, you have to do. You have to get through and break through this self-righteousness, which is an idol. You know, we can give up, you know, all our idols, you know, money, sex, uh, ambition, all those idols that we, we follow these days but the self-righteous attitude is the toughest one to get rid of. And only God can get rid of that for us.
3: And nun, nun made a famous saying uh, that as soon as you realize you have humility, you've lost it. <laughs> <laughs> this
4: is true. <laughs> um, so let me ask you a question, uh, Pete. So uh, on the, so the idea, so on the other side, The idea of total depravity, let's say, I mean, if if the good deeds I do are sin, almost sin to God, because they're being done for myself, of course, that's the world looking at them. So I am so depraved that even doing good, I I can't please God because those deeds are done for me. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm Hannibal Lecter and Hitler rolled into one, because I'm not (laughs) as bad as I could possibly be. I'm just depraved because I'm doing what my nature is to do. And that's to sin and dishonor God. And I may not even be doing it intentionally. It's just what I do because that's my nature.
0: Augustine put it that the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person was that an unsaved person could, could not do good even when he was trying to do good. And a saved person could do good. He was the freedom... An unsaved person is free to sin. A saved person is free to do good. Is the way he put it. Uh, we are not. If you're not saved, you're not free to do good. You can't have the freedom to do good, which is to give, which is the ultimate good, giving glory to God. By the way, that humility thing. James Dobson tells a story where, you know, he he prayed before this you know mega meeting. That he would be humble and, and present God's word to these great, you know, this great crowd of people. And he, you know, gave this wonderful sermon and he sat down saying, You know, I've been trying to be humble and I thank God for them being humble. And then the guy next to him said, You know, your fly's been open for the last hour. <laughs> so never pray for humility. That's the, he will give it to you. That's right. All right. Verse 18 is a summary of everything that we've read tonight from three nine down it's verse 18 there is no fear of god before their eyes that's it um, that's and it. that's where the ignorance of god the willful independence from god the selfish deeds our words and all our actions come from there is no fear of god before their eyes um, by the way what is fear fear of god
4: Respect, reverence, uh, honor—I don't know if it's fear, like terror, or uh, afraid. Rather, a uh, uh, honor, and, uh, uh, a reverence for God, like a strong—I don't know the adjective, but yeah. I think
1: if you have it's, fe- it's, if you have fear of God, if, what's you that have, if you have fear of God, you actually must know Him in some way.
0: Right, right.
1: I think also
0: fear of God is taking
3: him at his word. Okay. Uh, fear of him is to totally underestimate his great power.
1: Oh, that's true.
0: Okay. Um, Tim Keller gives a, I think, great as great a definition of the fear uh, of God. in this context as anyone. He uh, says that it's an attitude of awe, respect. And sober, trembling joy before God. Oh, wow. Trembling joy. Oh, God. That this fear is we are in awe of God, we are in absolute respect of God, and we even tremble but God, before God, but we have joy in all that before God.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, John Piper does the same thing, that the whole point of the Christian life and of man himself is as the westminster confession says to know love and serve god and important things piper to enjoy his presence forever Mm. and that's part of the fear of god to enjoy to have joy in his presence
1: yeah
0: if that is the driving force of your life that you have this joy before god then that makes that makes your life your christian life a lot easier quite honestly because you know you you have a, a sense of being driven because we are all driven by joy
2: yeah pete i just want to say something yeah and that's not that's that's a good way of putting it and it's not something that it's impossible i guess a lot of times we might look at that and say well uh you know how often do we have that uh, experience where we're We have a a trembling, an awesome trembling uh, with a joyful connotation to it. But you know something, when we read God's word and when when we see the blessings that God promises uh, to those who have, who know him, who walk with him, who who look to look to his blessings, the promises of God. Yes. When we look to the promises of God, that's where that uh, joy uh, is now connected to uh, the awesome trembling. In other words, it's not awesome trembling, like you said, without joy, but it's awesome trembling with joy. And why is there joy? Because of God's promises to his people. And they're good. I, I, he says, I, I, above all things, uh, it says in the scripture that I, I wish your soul would prosper. You know, so that this prospering of the soul, what's that? It's not a financial prospering. It's a, a, a prospering of the inner man, which only God can do, which brings joy
0: um again i i have does anybody know who, anybody besides lynn and i know who tim keller is by the way yeah okay so uh, for those who don't i don't i'm you know don't presume that everybody knows tim keller was the founding pastor of the email presbyterian in new york city um sorry he's written like you know one of these underachievers who's written like only 150 160 books yeah. So, you know, is one of his life verses, he has several, but one of his life verses is Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord before me always. Whoa. And he says, my secret to life is to keep the greatness of God always before me, always thinking of his glory, his love, and his power, and let him control me at all times. I live in light of him. Um, you know, it's just a preciously beautiful statement uh, for a a man of God or a woman of God to be able to say this verse really says what this says to me. Um, So, any uh, comments? We'll move on a little bit. Uh, Verse, the only thing I don't like about my my version of ESV is a very small print. Now, we know that whatever the Uh, verse 19 and 20 now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable for god for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin through the law comes knowledge of sin it means without the law we wouldn't know what sin was No. There's there's a there's a, a word that you know we don't use in Baptists, uh, but in a lot of the more liturgical churches, uh, uh, we occasionally use it. I think maybe Pastor Nathan will use it on Sunday. It's called the canon of Scripture. Canon. Um, and. What, a ca- this is, what this is all talking about is a, a cannon. Uh, a cannon is a measuring stick. A cannon was, in, in the Greek, is what the architect or the builder would put the stick up to make sure his wall was straight. And he put the stick down, and that was the cannon, is the stick. He put it down, and he realized, whoop, wall's a little off, so we have to move the wall a little. So it was a way of marking out <coughs> And when we talk about the law, it is a canon. It it tells us how far we've gone astray, and that's the one of the that is the purpose or one of the purposes of the law is to show us that we are all guilty, that we're guilty of sin. So every the, the law has several purposes, but the most important thing is that it's not a checklist; it's a benchmark. It is not a checklist of how well we are doing, but a benchmark of how much we have failed. Okay. Mm. It's a slight difference, but it's an important difference. All right. Um, I'm gonna read another, I'm gonna start at verse 21 and to the end of the chapter. Yeah. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, the, the grammar would say, and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus now that is the most I mean, if, if I were a teacher of English and someone wrote a sentence like this, I would like there'll be red marks all over. It. I mean, this is the grammar here is all out of whack. The, gra- the, the whole idea it's so packed and, and convoluted. But and even worse is that if you go to verse 21 and it says uh, righteousness we'll put it and you go to verse uh, 22, righteousness, Uh, And and then 24, justified, those three words in your translation are all the same word in Greek. All right. So righteousness and justified are actually the same Greek root. So they all have a, a meaning. So you could actually translate those verses. But now a justification from or of God has been made known. That's verse 21. And then 24, and are righteousness freely justified if they have been made righteous freely. Okay. The, the idea here is that the righteousness of the God of God has, has been shown outside the law. All right, because Christ has shown the righteousness of God. And even though the law and the law and the prophets both Sort of looked forward to it. it is now manifest away from the law in christ jesus and in this way of how we are to be justified um and that is the great the, the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ for all who believe for all who believe will get the righteousness of god applied to them it is not our righteousness it is god's righteousness applied to us um they are justified by grace as a gift. What's the difference between a gift and your salary? Anyone? A, What's the question? If I give you $10, I, I open my pocket and I give you 10 bucks. Or you mow my lawn and I give you 10 bucks. That shows you how old I am. What's the difference? Joy, did you have something? I'm sorry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I hear you.
1: What's the difference? One is for words, right? One is for work, so one is given freely.
0: Right. Okay. All right. A gift, you don't you don't necessarily deserve a gift. All right. If I just see you on the street, you know, you're homeless and I give you 10 bucks, you may have, you haven't done anything for that. That's a gift. Right. But if right. you work for me and I give you money, you deserve it. So, the righteousness that God gives us through faith in Christ is a gift. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we earn. And that's an important point to understand. That He always describes this as a gift, <coughs> and that is not an earned very, very important concept that is not earned, that it is a gift. It is freely
3: beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, Steve. Um, it's
1: is it's through grace, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And the word grace itself means gift. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, and, you know, we, we hide, you know, you were saved by faith you know, you're saved by grace through faith. You know, that's great, and that's the King James, and that's all the English we use. But again, Christians don't speak English; we speak Christian. If we said salvation is by a gift through faith, then that makes that that's that's English. But when we say grace through faith, then we're sort of making it Christian. Uh, and we have to be very careful when we're talking to other people. Now, we all understand that grace, what it is, and it is a gift. We have to, have to make sure that people understand what we're saying.
1: Mm. Okay?
0: Even our you know, love. I mean, you know, love, the word love has such a, some sort of crazy meanings in, in modern English that had nothing to do with Christianity. So we have to be very careful to define our terms. Many, many heresies and many, many sects occur have their basis on just misusing words. Taking a word that we use normally in Christian and use it in a slightly different manner without telling you, and you become it becomes a a sect and a heresy. So you have to be very careful about how you use your words, what they mean really. now, <clears throat> righteousness.
1: What is righteousness? What is righteousness?
3: We didn't hear you.
1: What is righteousness? Oh. Oh, that's what I said before. <clears throat> Clean before God. I don't know how. Um, clean
0: before God. Okay.
3: I would call it. I would righteousness is, is God Himself. Right. That's what I would call.
0: It. Right. right. Being right with God. Being right with Making God. Right okay. with God. Yeah. Um. Now remember, this righteousness is given to us. For what purpose?
4: And get it ourselves. Um, we can't get it ourselves. We can't attain it ourselves.
0: Right. But what is what purpose does righteousness serve to us? Even if it's given to us,
1: reestablishes our relationship with God and our communication.
0: Amen. Boy, we just agreeing.
1: Agreeing. <laughs> let's say you are a. I
0: don't know how much anybody knows about Islam. In it. This is a guy who is, saying. this is a guy who is a very, very, precise, well, let's, let's go back. He is a Jewish guy. He is very orthodox. He follows the law, and he presents uh, the following of the law to God as his righteousness. Or, if you want to use a better term that, you know, he might be more modern. he presents his obedience to the law as his resume in order to get into paradise or heaven. Mm-hmm.
1: That's
0: his resume, all right? And every other religion except Christianity is that way. You are essentially presenting your resume to God saying, da da da, da, da I deserve to have a position in your kingdom.
1: Well, God chooses you. Okay. So, so you... you- in the other religions they're looking for him right right
0: if we use our resume thing is that in every other religion we build our resume they the people in these religions build their resume in order to present to god a reason for them to be in the kingdom in christianity we come before god and he hands us a pre-made resume that says you deserve a, a place in the kingdom all right, it, it's like you know the the uh, one of the uh, job things is you know some people ask me for an for a, for a, for a um, interview. They called me and said I, they wanted to interview me. It's it's basically God is giving you a resume that's all filled out with your name on it and all the reasons you should be in the kingdom. Participating. So that is the one of the bigger big. That is the big difference. That's the distinction of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um now okay pastor nathan and i had an actual discussion about this one Uh, wednesday um uh go to verse 25 and tell me would each of you tell me what version of the scripture you are reading and then read 25 for me who has king james
2: Anyone?
0: King. Any King Jamesers? No? Okay. Any new King Jamesers? No. Mm-hmm. NIV? Yep. So. Okay, what is it? What is verse 25 in the NIV?
1: God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Okay.
0: All
4: right. Anyone have an RSV or? Um... Yeah, NASB 1960, uh, 1995. Okay, what
0: do you have now? And
4: it says, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Okay. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Okay.
0: Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, what do you have in New
2: Living? Right?
1: Okay, this is New Living twenty-five, right? Mm-hmm. Where God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Can okay. You...
0: That's, that's, yeah. Yeah. Sacrifice for sin. Okay. In in the King James, and in the uh, RSV, and in the um, New King James, you often you'll see it talking about expiation. Uh, in this case, one of the things that you know, actually the NIV gets the idea much better than uh, most versions, uh, even though it is not as literal. Uh, the literal word is a propitiation. Because propitiation has the idea of expiation, but also is added. And that whole idea of a sacrifice, uh, but you have to know the real meaning of the sacrifice in the Old Testament. So expiation is a wiping away of wrongdoing. in other words it says your 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 sin is no longer wiped away but propitiation it says your sin is no longer there and god's wrath is also gone so it's a little bit more expanded uh, and it's a much more important term this idea of sacrifice for sin or who had the niv someone had yeah yeah Yeah. because that is very very good
1: uh, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Right. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Oh. He did it. And it says he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus.
0: Okay. Uh, Passed over former sins. Okay. What former? Are former sins or everybody's former sins? What about somebody's, Well, like about Abraham. We'll get into him and maybe we'll just give you a little preview. But what about Abraham's sins or Moses' sins or David's sins? How were they
1: taken care of? They had great faith in the Father God.
4: Right. Sin. The animals were sacrificed.
1: Right. right.
0: Right. Okay. Animals were sacrificed. The Old Testament part of this, forgiving going on, what he's talking about when he's talking about past over former sins, is that in the Old Testament these sacrifices were sort of a I don't know how to put it a bookmark pointing to Jesus. Right, they were pointing to Jesus, but what they did was sort of hold all these sins in sort of a, a collection plate that when the cross came, God took it and took it away. Now, in, the, in, in propitiation, here's a question for you. Propitiation wipes your sin away and takes away the wrath of God. Does that mean God's justice is uh, somehow? But, you know, God's justice says that his wrath should be against all sin is somehow God's justice uh, marred by no. this giving away and taking, you know, giving no. away and whatnot. Why?
4: Because the sin is punished. Right. Okay. The sin is punished. Sin it's is. not punished by the sinner. It's punished by a stand-in. Right. It's a propitiation
0: because the wrath of God is placed not on the person who sinned, but upon God himself. Right. That's why it's a propitiation. All right. Is this where they get
4: substitutionary atonement? Is this right. one of the things?
0: That's, that's the fancy, fancy, fancy term for it, substitutionary atonement. That's what you look at. That's what they'll talk about. But it is this idea that justice requires that the wrath of God be placed upon the sinner. And what happens is that God turns that wrath upon Himself, and that's the cross. Wow,
4: uh, yeah, that's a big wow. I think a question: So that's, he's talking to people in the first century, right? Allegedly, uh, and he's talking about past sins, right. And God's forbearance because He left sins committed in the past unpunished, and He did this to demonstrate His righteousness. So at the present time, so what about sins that were committed in the future? by people who didn't even exist yet. How could, how does this apply to them? Okay. Um,
0: First of all, those who were saved before Christ, and there were is through the grace of God. And in that is that, again, this is sort of those sins and that wrath are are stored up to be placed upon Christ, as well as the future. Now, there are several concepts of time and God. One is kind of the way I feel is that God uh, is above time. Uh, The the, the, uh, sort of figure that I use is that if you're on, you and I, when, when the Macy's parade, Thanksgiving Day Parade is going on, standing on Fifth Avenue, you see it go past one after another after another. That's our concept of But God is standing on the 20th floor and he sees the entire parade from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Now, the argument that is against that is that that means that for God, Christ is still on the cross. Mm-hmm. And he's been resurrected, and Adam is there, and our future is there. It's all in front of him. Um, but if this, if my, you know, it's easy for me. That's why I take it. If Christ in God's eyes is still on that cross, the sins that we have committing down the road, two, three, four millennia later are still being nailed to that cross.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That, that's just, that's because of, I'm rather simple. And that's an easy way for me to look at it. There are others who say differently,
2: uh, but
0: yeah, they're covered because God pulls them from the future into the and pulls them from the past
4: into this 33 AD event as we call it. So before. Christ actually, when he died, paid for sins for me that I had not even committed yet, because I wasn't even born yet. Right. Before so every sin dead. ever committed by anyone who was ended up depending on your theology. that was in Christ was paid for, or was every sin ever committed by everyone on the planet for all time paid for, but the benefit of that only comes to those who choose Christ, again, depending on your theology, but a lot of sins were paid for at the cross that had not even existed yet, so I mean, if Christ died only for the sins up to that point, we'd be in very big trouble right now. It's a very interesting concept. Very hard to get your mind around, you know. That's because we are embedded in time, and yes. we're creatures of time, and we have, you know, we have to
0: understand that, that God is a little different from us. Okay, so you know,
4: it's, it's, <laughs> thankfully,
0: thankfully, yes. So yes, sins past, present, and future are are propitiated or taken care of by that sacrifice of the cross, <laughs> and then depending upon your theology as you said that was only for those that God knows that would be saved or that um, they' were only and they will only it only works for those who are saved or it, it, it's it works for every it could work for everybody but it really only works for those who are saved because the other ones don't take it. Uh, that's, that's two different forms of theology uh, and you can argue about that today as well. Okay.
3: Could I interject one thing? Sure. There's a Nobel Prize waiting for the person who can tell us what time it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> it's, we, we don't know what it is. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> you're probably
0: right about that. All right. 830. It's
4: 830. It's yep. 830. <laughs> With it's my fun. Nobel Prize. <laughs> <a> hurry oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next week, we'll
0: uh, pick up on chapter four. Chapter four yeah. Yes, chapter four, verse one.
3: Uh-huh. Uh, where do we end?
0: Chapter three. What did you With, say? All of four? Well, the way if our track record is it goes, we'll probably get about halfway through. But hopefully, it's, it's twenty five verses. We might be able to get through it. I don't know.
3: Okay. Right.
0: Romans is not a book to rush through. That's for sure. No. Okay. All right. So, Pete, would you end us in prayer? Sure. Dear Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for your willingness to give Dr. Pete um, just the patience to teach us, Lord, and the great mind that you've given him, Lord, that he may impart uh, this knowledge to us. We thank you for this class, Lord. We thank you for just being here, Lord, and for uh, touching our hearts, Lord, and help us to truly understand what we've heard today. Help us to grow from it, Lord, and help us to grow closer to you and to pray to you more and louder because of what we've learned today. We thank you again for all of to Bless us. And, keep us and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
2: Thank,
1: thank, you. thank you, everyone. you,
2: thank you.